Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire. In an earlier episode, we talked about the Red Wall series a bit by Brian Jakes. We're going to actually be working through the book series, starting with the first book title, Red Wall. Now, a little bit about the author Brian Jakes. He was born in Liverpool, England, and grew up in Kirkdale near the near the docks of Liverpool. He actually started having a talent for writing early. Um, when at the age of ten, he wrote a story of a bird that cleaned a crocodile's teeth for a school assignment, requiring him to write an animal story. His story about this bird was so good that his teacher didn't believe that he had really written it himself, that he'd copied it. And this being how schools were back in the day, he got caned for not admitting to copying it off of somebody else because it was actually his work. I wish this Croc story was still around. I would love to read this published as a children's book or something. I'm sure it's fully gone now. He left school at 15 to be a merchant sailor. And he's lived a colorful life since then. As a sailor, dock worker, truck driver, policeman, comedian, broadcaster, playwright, folk singer, and host of the BBC radio program Jakestown. Now, if you look for... Uh, if you're looking for anything about Jakestown, be aware it is not spelled J-A-C-Q-U-E-S like his last name. It is spelled J-A-K-E-S, Jakes, for the radio program. And he's the father, he was the father of two children, grown now, got grandkids. He wrote his first Redwall book for... The children at Ro- Royal Wavertree School for the Blind. He met them while working as a milkman. And yes, all of the published Redwall books are also available in Braille, as they should be. Now, the first Redwall book titled Red Wall. It starts off with a poem from underneath the tapestry. I'd say this is a spoiler, but it's on the first page, so here goes. Who says that I am dead knows not at all. I am that is two mice within Red Wall. The warrior sleeps twixt hall and cavern hole. I am that is. Take on my mighty roll. Look for the sword in moonlight streaming forth. At night when day's first hour reflects the north, from o'er the threshold, seek and you will see. I am that is, my sword will wield for me. And then you get a little dis- description of the abbey. It's built of red sandstone with Virginia creeper ivy growing on it that turns really fiery red in the autumn. Yes, this is, 
this being the first book, there's no, uh, it has some continuity discrepancies with the rest of the series, or hence the reference to Virginia, since this doesn't seem to actually be taking place in the real world. Virginia Creeper does indeed grow very fiery red in the fall. I've got it growing where I live too, and it is beautiful. This abbey, it's got forest on uh, two sides, and the other half, it's Meadowland to the west. And it's located on a road. So now that uh, you got a bit of description, oh, yes, there, this is important. There's a very tall wall completely surrounding the abbey. It's got four gates in it. The wall is built for protection from attack because they, at least in theory, are meant to be an order of peaceful mice and so this is so they can live in safety. They still get attacked practically every book, so they're still dealing with what they're trying to avoid. So in the first chapter, you get introduced to Matthias. He he is wearing an oversized habit robe. They all wear green habit robes. And sandals that don't fit him. And he trips over and spills the basket of nuts he's carrying. And, uh, yeah, some, we're not sure how big these mice are because a regular mouse would be capable of carrying one nut at a time, not a whole basket. So maybe these animals are bigger. This remains a debate among fans. How big are these animals? Are they mouse size? Are they human size? Somewhere in between... Who knows? And uh, after Matthias trips right in front of the abbot, um, Well, they they go into the abbey, and they're looking at the tapestry. This tapestry, it's got, uh, it's a, a woven tapestry of a mouse named Martin the Warrior. 
and he's standing there with his sword and a whole bunch of foxes, wildcats, and uh, other quote-unquote vermin running away in terror. And Matthias, he says to the abbot that he wishes to be like Martin the warrior. He was the bravest mouse that ever lived. And the abbot explains about the the order of red wall mice. Oh, at this moment they also mention Matthias's past. He was taken in as an orphan. He came to the abbey begging. They don't know uh so we the readers don't get whatever his backstory was, who his parents were, anything like that. I know the cartoon series gives him a a bit more background, but we never get this in the books. So the abbot goes on about how Martin the warrior founded the abbey. And he uh, killed a wildcat that was oppressing the creatures of the land. And he survived the battle, but he was badly injured. And the other mice helped him. And uh, these became the mice, these became the mice of Redwall. In a subsequent book, these are revealed to be mice from Loam Hedge, far in the south. They left their abbey because <coughs> there was a plague going on. But none of this actually comes into this story. After Martin recovered, he hung up his sword. And the mice took a solemn vow to never harm another living creature unless it was an enemy that sought to harm them and to heal the sick, care for the injured, and help the poor. An interesting note. Oh yeah, if you hear any barking, I've got a naughty puppy in the background here. She's uh, being a bit of a handful. It's noted that predators will not harm a mouse wearing the green habit of Redwall because they are known for healing and giving aid. Well, that certainly didn't last. That didn't even last the entire book. So this might be a little bit of a, a retcon. And uh, the abbot says to Matthias that they live in peaceful times now. They don't need they don't need warriors anymore. And 
Matthias should concentrate on doing as he's told and eventually becoming a true member of Redwall's order and suggest that he goes fishing for the feast they're going to have that night. Brian Jakes gets big into the food descriptions. He's well known for it, and it's going to be like that for the whole series. That's in another chapter, so I'll wait for that. The second chapter, you're introduced to Clooney the Scourge. The high, warm sun shone down on Clooney the Scourge. Clooney was coming. He was big and tough. An evil rat with ragged fur and curved, jagged teeth. He wore a black eye patch. His eye had been torn out in battle with a pike. Clooney had lost an eye. The pike had lost its life. And then now you got uh, that bit of description. I'm gonna remind you that pike are huge. Hey, Nim, you don't need to act like a pike. And then it goes into Clooney's past. Some said he was a Portuguese rat, and some said he was from the jungle across the wide oceans. Nobody knew for sure. Here's another first book discrepancy, Portugal. Clooney was a bilge rat from a ship. He was big, covered with scars, and his tail was enormously long and whip-like. He had a big army of various water rats, sewer rats, tavern rats, etc. And he carried the skull of a ferret on his standard. He killed the ferret. Him and his rat army are riding in a horse cart. The horse, that's another thing from the first book that you don't get again later in the series. Horses, domesticated animals, they're not really mentioned again except for that one time when there was a typo. The horses panicked and galloping with no driver and whole army of rats in the hay cart. And it goes past a sign saying Redwall Abbey, 15 miles. Now back to uh, the Abbey itself. Matthias has uh, gone fishing with Brother Alf and they have caught a large grayling. And if you don't know what a grayling is, that's it's a fish in the trout family with a large sail-like fin on its back. 
And they've got uh, their fish for the feast. The otters compliment him. Constance the badger has to help carry it in. And uh, they they bring it to Far Hugo, and he makes his dish grayling a la Redwall, made with white gooseberry wine, rosemary, thyme, beech nuts, honey, fresh cream, and mint leaves. So I'm I'm assuming this is a baked poached fish in the oven. Now, this recipe has not been featured in the Red Wall cookbook, but I wanted to try it. And I had to substitute a few things. I couldn't get an actual grayling, so I used a trout. Didn't have access to gooseberry wine either, so I used regular white wine. Used slivered almonds instead of beech nuts. It came out delicious. So, uh... They have their feast, um... Cheese, nuts... Um... Tender freshwater shrimp garnished with cream and rose leaves, deviled pard, barley pearls, and acorn puree. I'm not sure how that would work. Apple and carrot chews, marinated cabbage stalks steeped in creamed white turnip with nutmeg. Uh, that doesn't sound quite to my taste. I mean, I'd willingly try it. Ambrose Spike, the cellar hedgehog. Does some magic tricks for them all. So they've had their first uh, described feast in Redwall. Definitely not the last. Meanwhile, in the next chapter, chapter four, the rat car. The the hay cart with the rats and Clooney in it has stopped. The horse is tired. And Clooney callously sends Skullface the rat to his death, basically, to get the horse running again. He tells him to jump on the horse's back and bite it to get it moving. The moment the horse feels the rat land on its back, it throws the rat off, starts running again, and Skullface is run over by the cartwheels. Clooney shows absolutely no remorse for this. Tell the devil Clooney sent you, Skullface. Yeah. He does not care at all for his own uh, his own soldiers, which is pretty much a recurring thing with 
Redwall warlords, they... They're like this. So this, uh... Hay cart with the rat army and it is heading again toward Redwall. So that's the first four chapters. I'm gonna be going over the whole book, so stay tuned and uh, thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast.